Marriage. No matter where your marriage is right now, it can be full of hope, grace, change, and love. Listen in as we present Pursue Marriage Weekender 2023, a series of sessions and sermons where the Bible is celebrated, marriages are nurtured, and lives are transformed. In Ephesians chapter 5, I want to read a very familiar text, and I'll get right into my thoughts this morning. Now let's look in verse number 20, and it says, submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God. And so we have these thoughts here of, you know, wives submit and husbands honor, but the idea here is what's about to be said goes both ways. It's reciprocal. It goes in two directions. We're both to love and respect and to honor and defer to one another. And so submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God, wives submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, and as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be unto their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot nor wrinkle nor any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. So much instruction there. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it. And cherishing means to sit up on a pedestal, to make special, to take notice of it, uh, to, to in every way see what he is responsible for to flourish and to bloom. Because that's what the Lord does for the church. Our Heavenly Father, I pray the next few moments as we consider, Lord, your thoughts about marriage, that, Lord, you'd help us to, Lord, focus on these positives. Lord, to cherish one another as we should. And I ask for your help with this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last night, we discussed the importance of developing in our relationship a positive mentality. Uh, not just to try to avoid what's wrong and that which is evil, but rather try to uh, develop a high positive uh, sentiment in our marriage overall. And we tried, as we talked about, when the positive sentiment uh, override is greater than the negative, then we're, we're, we're usually in a good place. The idea last night was that we should give effort, and rightly so, to eliminating what is wrong and negative, but there is equal intelligence and wisdom and spending much time or even more time in investing and creative positive experiences in our relationships. In the same way that you and I would endeavor to keep a banking account on the positive and in the plus, we need to maintain and invest in our relationship with our spouse, with our family, and even others in such a way that it always overrides any negative deficits that come. Neglect... And the lack of maintenance, from Proverbs 24, we learned, destroys things. More than any act of commission, acts of omission or neglect are the great destroyers. And so this session is going to continue that thought of creating a dynamic that keeps negative thoughts and feelings and experiences from overwhelming positive ones. In a recent study by the University of Michigan on the study of relationships, they found that unhappiness in marriage beyond being miserable, brings a host of other negative consequences as well. Being in a negative deficit relationship 
um, increases your chances of being ill by 35%. Now, you know, I I don't know how you measure that. This is interesting. Um, The last several weeks uh, in our church, you know, there's been a lot of illness. It is the season. And our own kids have been sick a lot. And somehow Terry and I have escaped all of that. And so we've looked at each other like every three days. How are we not sick? How are we not sick? And I'm just going to contribute that to our positive sentiment override. <laughs> and that we are just really happy together. And I listen, that can be overdone. I think there's something to that. I think that's really true. Studies indicate that when people reside long-term in unhappy marriages, that they could take as much as four years off of their lifespan. Stress in marriages creates a a host of negative uh, circumstances, high blood pressure, heart disease, a host of pathological problems, anxiety, depression, substance abuse, violence, and psychosis. Conversely, happy marriages and happy couples um, have a far less frequency of those same maladies. Uh, Comparing the immune systems of happy couples compared to unhappy couples, there is a measurable and quantifiable difference in the numbers of white blood cells in the body. And why would that matter? More white blood cells, greater immune response, we don't get sick. And that's a result of a happy spirit. As the Bible says, you know, a merry heart doeth good like a... That's true, especially in relationships that can bring so much joy and or conversely, a lot of negative emotion. The incident of cancer is far less in happily married couples. In some studies, across a normative study, as much as by 50%. So I'm not jabbing Brother Chadwick at all when I say this, but I often think if fitness buffs spent just 10% of their daily routines um, maintaining a marriage, let's say 20 minutes a day, working on their marriages, that they could get three times the health benefit that they do on a treadmill. Now, I'm just talking about health. Now, muscles require the treadmill and weights. But just a healthy lifestyle, in great measure, is dependent upon healthy relationships. It's, it's a big deal. Now, I want us to understand, before I continue, that there is a place for developing skills when negative things happen in our life. We should learn to be better listeners. Um, We should study um, problem-solving techniques. And and, and this is just an aside, but let let me share something with you. Every time a fight begins between a, a couple, okay, now by fight, I don't mean disagreement, okay? I mean a fight, escalating voices, um, bloodstream beginning to pump, perspiration, okay? Every time a fight begins, the end of rational thought ends. Anecdotal experience and empirical evidence suggests that when you and I fight as a couple or somebody else, it initiates a primitive fight or flight response. A fight between even married couples is perceived physiologically as a threat, Okay, that means what happens is beyond your control. It goes to something called the sympathetic nervous system. And all of a sudden, because you feel threatened, 
norepinephrine, adrenaline begins to pump through your veins. That serves to vasodilate your blood vessels. It gets you ready to fight and or run, neither of which is healthy for a relationship. Cognitive ability diminishes. Reactive ability is heightened, which means you're speaking, but I'm not listening. I'm just waiting to say my next thing to you to hurt you or get my point across. What, what happens in that kind of fight is never positive. Cognitive function, communication ability, decreased ability to listen, rational thought, and empathy all tank. That's why the Bible says a soft answer. A soft answer allows for rational thinking and to turn away wrath. So that's not my sermon today. But I just want you to understand, that is major deficit. And all those should be avoided. But what I want to talk about is, in my opinion, just avoiding the fight will never provide the positive um, nurturing of a marriage that investing in it in a positive way will. Resiliency is a result of addition, and I would also suggest subtraction, but addition is our point today. Successful conflict is helpful, but grace in a storehouse of positive capital makes an even bigger difference. So a starting place for building capital of positive, resilient marriages is by realizing the importance um, of maintaining what I'm going to call intimacy. Now, by intimacy, I, I could use the word friendship. And when I say friendship, I, I, I don't mean like colleagues, but, but I mean connection. Um, maybe what I mean most of all is maintaining closeness. Making sure that the person that you're married to, that you feel close to. There's no wall. There's no distance. That there's vulnerability. There's the ability to communicate. That there's, it's, it's not just being a roommate. And, I, and I'm not talking about all, just about the sexual experience. I'm talking about an, intis, an intimacy and closeness of friendship that is just being close. It's this, I like being with you. I like being with you 35 years after we started being together. I, I still look forward to that time together. So when I, when I say these words, I'm not suggesting something platonic, but an intimacy of the heart. Riley understood friendship and this kind of intimacy in the marriage, it fans the flame of romance. And it can offer protection against the feeling of adversity towards your spouse. Intimate friendship is built on the foundation of love, but it also implies something else. And, and I don't want to overstate this, but that you still like each other. Not just love each other, that you like each other, that you are together on an ongoing basis, that there's connection. In a marriage, um, it is possible with neglect for two people to begin to live parallel lives. Okay, now you have to parallel. Parallel means running alongside, but not necessarily together. So, you know, I, I'm in my latter 50s, I'm 59. Terry's considerably younger than that. And uh, in our age group, our demographic, yeah, I, we look, you're right, we're just paying attention, and I feel like I see a sea of roommates. And 
I've asked you, how many couples our age do you think are just happy, that like each other, that enjoy each other physically and, and, and have all different kinds of intimacy? And, and the reality is, is precious few. That can happen. People ought to be tied together in a marriage by more than just mutual responsibility and commitment. I'm all about commitment, but that's a starting place. That, that, that's a foundation that you build upon. But too many couples forfeit connection, passion, and friendship. A neglected marriage can dwindle to a stale transaction of managing the children of the house, careers, having very little time to just really spend together in a genuine friendship, intimate kind of way. It, it becomes uh, uh, roommates. I, I think that's a fitting term. Marriages can have a lack of fulfillment, frustration, and resentment can settle in when this, when this occurs. Marriages under the same roof become a lonely and unsatisfying relationship where the fibers of connection begin to erode if they're not invested in. So to prevent and mitigate this, I want you to think about your marriage not only in terms of, in terms of functional partnership. Okay, functional partnership is important. What I mean by that, it's important that the two of you share in the unavoidable responsibilities of life. Okay, look here. The house has to be cleaned. Okay, if you care, your floors have to be swept. The dishes need to be done. The bills have to be paid. You have to have a budget. Uh, the cars need to be occasionally washed. I mean, you get the idea. There's all these things. And listen, that should be shared equally in great degree. I'm all about roles and, and, and various responsibilities, but I'm interested in biblical roles responsibility. And you can sweep. Guys and ladies can sweep. Vacuum, load the dishes. Give us grace. We can change diapers. We can do these things. And look here, we ought to share in doing those things. Functional relationship is unbelievably important. It's not exciting, but it is necessary. But those things cannot crowd out what I'm going to call emotional and relational partnership. In great measure, that's why we got married. That partnership is fueled by love, fun, excitement, meeting felt needs, sexual intimacy, and all kinds of adventure. Um, you know, go on a cruise, ride motorcycles, go on a hike, just go to the park, but do some things together. Friendship, emotional partnership comes from a shared life, not just shared responsibility. I'm not minimizing one, I'm just trying to highlight the other. And all that starts by making time to be companions again. Friends, two people who emotionally tied because they like each other. And we need to work to try to be as unencumbered at times as we can from all the routines and ruts of life. Uh, you know, for me, Sundays come. I can't avoid them. They come every, every seven days. They come. I got to get ready. I got to preach. Wednesdays come. All these things come. But then sometimes Terry and I just have to fight and be intentional about getting away, breaking the routine. It's not the root, it's not that it's evil, it's just that we need other. That part of our life cannot consume us. 
Amos 3.3 is a text I think all of us know. And it goes like this. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Can two walk together except they be agreed? Okay, a common interpretation of that goes like this. Can two walk together if they don't agree? In other words, it's kind of like this. Well, I can't agree with you, so I can't walk with you. I don't agree with you, I, I can't walk with you. And, and, and that thinking is sort of rampant in fundamental independent Baptist churches. And, and there's, a, there's a kind of truth to that. But in the Hebrew, I believe something a little bit different is implied. That word together in the Hebrew, something goes like this. Can two walk together except they be agreed to meet? This is, this is even more elementary. Can two walk together if they're not together? Does that make sense? I, I can't walk with you if you won't meet with me. I can't walk with you if you won't spend time with me. We're never going to agree if we're not together. Differences are highlighted when people are apart. But you put them together, and all of a sudden, things can be resolved that otherwise could not be. So, hey, Terry, we're going to walk together to overcome some of our differences. As a matter of fact, we're going to meet at this time. We're going to walk in the same direction. We're going to consider each other's pace. We're going to walk together so we can grow together is the idea. What's the point? You can't grow together if you don't spend that kind of time purposing just, just to be together, just to walk down that country lane holding her hand so you can talk. I, I, I can't grow closer to you is the idea if I'm not with you. Now, I don't want to be redundant, but um, I, 35 years, I've given all kinds of marital counseling I use this book, but that Amos 3, 3 thing is, is a big deal to me, is walking together. It's a metaphor for spending time. We're supposed to walk with God, right? What does that mean? Be with him. I, I, I can explain it in a thousand ways, prayer time, Bible reading, being in church, but it, it means to be together. Okay, I, I mean it Literally. You want to build positive capital, go on a walk. When people walk, they tend to walk parallel, side by side, like this. Okay? There are lots of times in life which is really important that you and I, oh, that's glued down, I can't do that. <clears throat> that um, I look you in the eye and you look at me in the eye. That's important for understanding and attention. But sometimes in communication, studies have shown when there is not immediate imminent eye contact, people feel a little freer to say things they otherwise would not say, that they're more vulnerable, that they're more open. Studies tell us that when you walk, especially outside, that there's positive emotional and physiological benefit. You with me? You put all these things together, two people holding hands, walking down a country road or in a park, is an environment where the host of positive interactions can occur that otherwise might not occur. I came here for some really profound marital advice. Okay, well, you got that in the last session. 
go on a walk. You'll be surprised if that's a regular maintenance routine. There's a second thing I want to encourage, and I'm trying to be just eminently practical. Make moments. Make memories as a spouse. There's a book I highly recommend to families and couples. It's called The Power of Moments. You may have read it. The idea is this, is that much of the grind of life does not necessarily register deeply in our minds and hearts. Um, There's something called neglect duration, and and it kind of goes like this. So um, Terry and I are going on a cruise together in May. We've been on lots of those together. So there's a lot of parts of going on a cruise that aren't necessarily fun or memorable, you got to, you know, you, you, you go on the drive, and there's, there's a waiting in line, and there's all these kind of routines that you go through. And so if you had asked me, tell me about your last cruise, I'm not going to tell you about the lines I waited to get on the ship. I mean, if you make me think about it, I will. But you know what I remember? I remember the time we went snorkeling together. I, I remember the time we saw these giant uh, tiger sharks that was just amazing. I remember the school of fish. I remember parasailing, okay? I remember all the fun and adventurous things. That's what I'm going to tell you about. I'm not going to tell you that we stood in line. What's the point? That sticks out to me. That resides with me. That that remains in my heart. There are a host of positive memories, and you should try to build them. You don't live life incidentally and accidentally live it purposefully and and it doesn't always require money you can just do a lot of fun things as a family and as a couple I there there are so many things Uh, Terry and I have been whitewater rafting we've hiked up the mountains we've gone on cruises Um, we've ridden motorcycle on dozens of trips over a thousand miles we scuba dive together we've walked in the woods we've been on so many incredible adventures and I remember all of them. And so when these little uh, ridiculous fights and things happen, there's all this wealth that's in us. There, there's no way that I'm going to let the world divide us. It's, you should be intentional about fighting the flatness of life. I'm not making it evil. I'm just saying that sometimes life can be flat. There's been a recent study that I read that suggests playing together, couple, family, um, opens up the lines of communication. It it fosters better relationship than anything else it could find. You you took a a couple who was fighting, and they just went and did something fun together. Science is saying that that does more to help the couple than any amount of counseling. Now, that's an extreme, but you get the idea that it helps It creates a sense of belonging, identity. Um, It creates positive sentiment. Barriers go down. It's hard to have fun with someone and be angry with them. It creates vulnerability. Um, Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is is a strength, right? Happiness is is a joy. Um. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Proverbs 25, 28 tells us that a negative spirit, a negative countenance, um, it's, it's like 
taking a city that had walls and then tearing them down. It's destructive. I'm not trying to be silly, nor trite, nor superficial when I say fighting the flatness of life, building moments, doing things that are fun together, not necessarily expensive, but just doing fun things together, it's a help to your marriage. It's an incredible help. And it's not just the event itself, it's the planning of it. Okay, we're going on this cruise in May, we're already talking about it. One of these motorcycle trips, there was weeks of planning before. It, it, it gave us something to look forward to. It was an excitement. It, it, was, it was fun. These things serve as glue. They're reinforcement. They are a gold mine of positivity, and they help. And then thirdly, and this is really getting to the text in Ephesians, learn to cherish each other. The Bible commands husbands to love and cherish their wives, and wives are told to love and honor, respect their husbands, but I think the word cherish is fitting. The I cherish, the idea of cherish is to protect, to care for. Cherishing is a commitment, like love, not just to keep the person first. Love always seeks the highest good, but cherishing is a bit different. Cherishing goes beyond that. To cherish is to cause another I love this descriptive word, to bloom. To make someone feel safe and secure, protected, to feel valued. Um, think of something that you cherish in your life. Okay, I, I have some things that were given to me by special people in my life that required sacrifice, and I, I cherish them. Okay? Um, I have this rifle that was given to me by a group of men in the church. About 100 guys got together. They all pitched in money. I, they bought me this incredible rifle. And I, I took it home. I have an office. I mounted it on the wall. I put it there, and I just look at it. It means so much to me. And then one of the guys asked me, did you ever shoot it? I'm like, I can't shoot it. And I said, well, they bought, we bought it for you to shoot it, so I went out and shot it. But the whole idea is it's up on a pedestal. It's, it's got a special place in my life. That's how we're to treat each other. And that's how you're to treat your, your wife and your husband, as something that's cherished and special. Okay. Hey, look at it for a second. This is, this is when I be real. If I were to ask 10 of you women today, just pick any 10 of you, and I was to ask you, does your husband love you? I, I think I would probably get 10 yeses. Is that fair? That may be overstated, but I'm going to, hey, lady, does your husband love you? He does. If I was to ask those same 10 women, does your husband cherish you? I, my guess is that the word cherish might mean a little more something to the ladies than to the men. I'm going to guess I'd get something other than 10. We innately and intuitively understand what the word means. Making that person feel like they are incredibly valuable and important to you. Every time I or she feels Cherished, huge capital, huge capital. 
how can I make Terry feel cherished? Big sermon on the, the thought. Another day. I can notice her. You're not invisible to me. I see you. I notice her. Um, I, go, I go beyond seeing them, looking at them. But, Terry, you look pretty today. I like your hair. Not forced, not phony. Disciplined, okay. You look really pretty today. I like that dress. Hey, Troy, man, the yard looks great. But after three hours working on it, the yard looks great. Man, that was a great meal. Thank you. Put a lot into that. Thank you for filling up the car with gas for me. It's just a little thing. It's noticed. You did a good job with that. I love your smile. You look good in that dress. Thank you. Just noticing. I, it's not rocket science. But it's omitted in our marriages. Noticing the positive things, seeing the good things, recognizing the daily routine and the effort comes at some cost. Terry, you're a great mom. And I value that. Hey, babe, thank you for taking us to church. I appreciate that. I appreciate all the time that you give to the kids. Instead of criticism and complaint and expressing deficiency, just, if you would just look for the positive, it's there. It may be routine. It may be flat. It may be something that you've totally taken for granted, but it's something that they have been doing for days and weeks and months and years, that if they forfeited it, your marriage would be less. Just learn to notice your spouse and catch them in these things. Cherish them by honoring them. We are told to prefer one another. That means to honor one another. We're actually, as a couple, we're supposed to try to outdo each other in honor. The idea of honoring means to lift up, to have respect for. One of the, one of the simple ways in First Peter that you know husbands can cherish and honor their wives is just to be considerate. So we're going to walk out here, you know, a little bit, and, and, and some of this is cultural and whatever else. But sometimes the difference between just two people getting in the car. And the husband taking the extra attention to walk to her door and open it, putting her in, and then walking around is just a little bit display of honor. It's being chivalrous is an old-fashioned way of honoring. It's, it's taking time to open that door, to help bring the groceries in the house. It's when your spouse speaks and this time, look them in the eyes. Pay attention to them. Honor them with your attention. And look, at, look up here. Get off your phone. Listen to what they're saying. 
Showing honor means sharing in what they are interested in, even if it doesn't eminently interest you. That's a big deal. It's responding. There's this whole psychology, this, this whole truth. One way we honor each other is by responding to our partner's bids, B-I-D-S, bids. We don't realize this, but all of us go through every day making bids for other people's attention. We're asking them in a very simple way, even sometimes an unconscious way, we're asking for their attention. And this is fascinating. When marriage partners pay attention to their partner's bids, the incidence of divorce goes down exponentially. Matter of fact, they found that people have about an 80% plus response rate to bids. They almost cannot find divorce in that group. But when the response rate to bids go down to 30% or less, divorce, and I'm talking about scientifically, almost always results. Okay, so I, when you leave here, I want you to start listening for them. Man, that sunset sure is beautiful. And then Terry says, it sure is. That's a beautiful sunset. Okay, what's that about? I'm just sharing a moment with her. You know, I I can appreciate the beauty of the sunset without saying it. But if I said it, if she said it, I'm asking for something more. Hey, babe, I just finished washing the car. Mm Hmm? Or, yeah, it sure looks good. You know, I'm looking, I'll be honest, I'm just looking for something a little bit more than, mm mm-hmm. When she walks by me in a new dress and just glances up at me with her eyes, she's asking for my reaction. It's a bid that she wants me to respond to. It's a long day today. Yeah, you worked hard. This, when, when you're driving, it happens all the time. See that house? Yeah, yeah. That's what, that's what she's asking. She's just saying, let's engage in a conversation. I'm looking for your attention. Honoring a bid by responding to it is what all of us want. When we engage in a positive manner in someone's bid, we show them honor and we're gaining marital capital. All too often, we take this stuff for granted and we pass opportunities to respond to our partner's bids. And when we do, we're driving the love bank in the wrong direction. Let me put it this way. All too often in our marriages, pitches are lobbed our way and we forfeit the swing. And sometimes... Three strikes, you're out. And sometimes that can be true in a marriage. Look at it this way. Whenever your spouse seeks your attention in a comment of any kind, they're really simply asking the question, are you going to pay attention to me? 
Do you still care that I'm speaking? Noticing moments, cherishing, are all like paddle strokes that are taking us upstream in the life of entropy that help us continue in a positive direction. Now, I'm going to just borrow a second from Brother Chadwick. But a key principle in cherishing and honoring is the person being honored gets to decide how they want to be honored. (laughs) Um, That can be overstated, but there's something there. Wives, your husband may not say it this way, but he can feel dishonored. This is very typical of men. When you choose to do other things over paying attention to him. Us guys are like big kids. We've been married all these years, and sometimes I just still want her to pay attention to me. We live together, we work together, we go to church together, and there's just times I just still want her attention. That means there's times, ladies, yes, you have duties, yes, you have chores, yes, there's the children, and yes, there's your phone. but I'm here, pay attention to me. And we don't get past that. And we especially feel this acutely when you choose to do something, anything, over having sex. Ladies, okay, just put it this way. One of the simplest ways that you can honor a man is understanding that's what he, some, that's what he often wants. And when you notice your husband being quiet, inexplicably and or pouting (laughs) there's a lot of ways you could say about that it just may be we feel dishonored and for some of you that may be a stretch we feel invisible second tier meeting those needs is a simple way to honor And guys, honor your wives by helping them, being considerate, listening, helping with the household chores, helping with the kids, picking up dinner, better yet, taking them out to dinner, complimenting her efforts, holding her hand for no reason other than you just love her, being considerate when she's tired, Calling her during the day just to hear her voice and saying that, well, that's honoring her as well. And when you honor each other in a relationship, you are building and preserving capital that will get you through life's inevitable deficits. All these little gestures hold potential for immense good. The Bible says and studies have shown that when we cultivate something, it tends to grow. You reap what you sow. So if your marriage isn't in great shape, you can fix it. I said it before, every product has a process. I'm encouraging, along with fixing some things that are wrong, trying to infuse in your relationship 
a lot of little right things. Every interaction, every interaction in your marriage is probably adding something or taking something away. Everyone. You and I can create a life and a marriage of strength, or we can create one where we're tearing things down all the time. James 3.11 asks this question. It's rhetorical. Does the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? The answer is supposed to be like, it shouldn't. But it does. So here's the deal. Try to be sweet. To the degree that you can, by the grace of God, try to be sweet. Try to avoid the bitter. Don't let the things that are wrong overcome and dominate the things that are right. Book of Revelation chapter 3, Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to his seven churches, and he gives some advice to one of them. You've forgotten your first love. Okay? There's some things listed that were wrong, but he says this, hey, go back to the beginning and do the things that you used to do. You remember when we first started dating? Spend that kind of time together again. You remember when you used to apologize? Go do that again. You remember when you couldn't wait to be with her? Go do that again. You remember when we just wanted to be together? Guys, when you leave here, go together. Start building into your life positive, happy, good things. There's a lot of, there's enough evil out there. Don't, don't contribute and add to them any more than you have to. But you can build a great marriage. You just got to work at it. Our Holy Father, we thank you so much for Thank you for listening. Find more messages every week at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, join us for a service. We meet at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 p.m.